I'm surrounded by idiots. I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. You're a slacker. You stupid idiot! Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Oh, idiot! Game over, man! Hey, hey, careful Whoa. with that, Ronnie Millsap. We're downrange. What's the matter with you? I feel like a Kentucky Fried Idiot. Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. We're putting the band back together. Forget it. No way. We're on a mission from God. Gentlemen, Ciccolini here may talk like an idiot and look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. I was going to spend a night assembling the boys you, but this is holding my interest. All right, welcome once again to Free Range Idiocy. This is episode six, and a little something that we are calling Entertainment Grab Bag. And uh, playing uh, Bushwhacker Luke to my Bushwhacker Butch, ladies and gentlemen, on the other end, or well, midway through the continent, give it up for Tim. Hello, hello. My goodness, how the, are you doing the, this fine day, sir? Oh, I'm doing well. The the wrestling comparisons just you you, you just keep raising it a notch uh, a notch higher every single time. Did I get that right? Was it Luke and Butch? It was Luke and Butch. Oh my gosh, I I am proud of myself that I remember that. I am too smart. S M R T. I mean S M A R R T. I have no useful useful knowledge stuck in my the head. Best, I've got that. The best memory I have of that team is one year at the Royal Rumble. They both came in as uh, they couldn't have come in at the same time. No, I think one of this happened to one of them. One of them came in, um, climbed into the ring, was doing you, you know that march they used to do with the arms mm-hmm. and everything. Marched with the arms, walked to the other side of the ring, went over the top rope of their own accord. And then just marched out. Of, I mean, it was just the funniest looking thing you've ever seen. It's like, okay, you clearly did not come to uh, compete. So, completely fits with the gimmick, though. Yeah, absolutely did. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is going to be a rather interesting episode. We are, we have just done two episodes back to back with our favorite episodes of Battlestar Galactica from episodes uh, episode season one <laughs> and season two point oh. And uh, you, sir, I need money. you jet-setting SOBU, uh, are a world traveler and are, are jetting off to South Korea. Yes, taking the word to the streets, baby. Make money, money, make money, money, money. And uh, so we're not going to, we, we kind of had to record this a little bit earlier so that we could continue to provide uh, episodes to our, our, well, dozens of fans. <laughs> the millions <laughs> Million. No, yeah. I can't. I can't help but follow that up. I just can't. No. What? Can't. Uh, so we're recording this uh, actually a couple days after we recorded episode five. So congratulations. We're all time travelers now. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Uh, so we were going to throw this in. And we wanted to do something, and neither one of us have had a chance to actually watch season 2.5 and do it justice. So we decided, you know, let's give ourselves a little break. Let's just talk about a few of the things that have come up in the past week in entertainment world. A palate cleanser, and, if you will. Yeah, and, and and luckily for us, a bunch of stuff has happened <laughs> kind of all right, <laughs> right in a row. Yes. Um, and fallen in our lap. So we're going to chat about that for a little while. We're going to 
try to keep this episode somewhat reasonably length. Good luck. And we'll well we'll see how we're going to we keep making that. the promise we never keep. <laughs> you know, one of these days, one of these days. We keep it under two fifty. Mm-hmm. Well, as always, uh, first question of the show is, "What's your drinking, sir?" To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Well, if you've listened to the last two episodes now, you probably know what I'm going to be drinking because there's quite a backlog uh, that, I, that I'm working through right now. But it is, once again, Goose Island Summer Kolsch. Uh, you know what you are? You're, you're one of those little uh, fancy lads, aren't you? All I can picture is you sitting somewhere with just case after case <laughs> after case after case of Goose Island sitting behind you like you got you like you got involved in some sort of MLM program with beer yeah not, not. and now you're just you're stuck with it you can't give it away <laughs> he's like well screw it I'm gonna drink it no 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 just uh, just have a few more to go it was at that moment that I first realized Elaine had doubts about our relationship and that, as much as anything else, led to my drinking problem. Damn it, can't that be true? Because that's such a great visual. Yes. I, I, I would love it if you were actually sitting on like like a throne made out of cases of beer. That would be awesome. <laughs> you sit on a throne of Did, Didn't we do that in the old apartment at one point? Or No, maybe I'm thinking of the Christmas tree. Uh, empties, maybe, yes. Never never full ones. Never full ones. They didn't stick no. around that long. No, no, never, never. <laughs> never, never. Especially the Mickeys. I'm sorry, oh, sir. Yes. I don't believe we have slits mm. malt liquor. <laughs> Nothing finer than a Mickey's fine malt liquor. No slits malt liquor! Oh, good Lord. I, you know what? I kind of I, I kind of wish I could find and or still have that just for old time's sake. And I would probably be like, wow, this sucks. Yeah. I immediately regret this decision. But then again, what do you expect when you're getting it for like two forty nine a six-pack? Back in the day, it was all about the oh. price. Yes, indeed. Quality? Eh. (laughs) There's always a trade-off to be made, so. Yeah, we made that trade-off quick. (laughs) Uh, Well, in my case, uh, what I'll be partaking of this evening. Yes, sir. uh, This is actually a a little something-something that uh, a friend of mine, who uh, his family is from Kentucky, um, and from uh, Bardstown, Kentucky specifically, bourbon capital of the world. Um, And this is Very Old Barton. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, it's a little 80 proof number, and it is extraordinarily smooth. Nice, uh, beautiful kind of taste, and just very, very nice to sip on very nice. while we're having a nice little chat. Very nice. So continuing continuing the theme here, trying to keep it classy. That's right. I, I, you know, based on your description, do you have it in a snifter, or you, you know? No, uh, just, a, just a regular rocks glass. Okay. Uh, Started out with some uh, with some ice, but that's actually melted by now. Uh, didn't know if you were in the that, didn't know if you were in the robe with the slippers, your little pipe, you know. Oh man, I so I've I've already told my wife I want a smoking jacket for Christmas. <laughs> oh gosh, she says, but you don't smoke. I'm like, I don't care. I want I want a velour, like vel- crushed velvet smoking jacket. The heart wants what that, it wants. And she's looking at me like I cannot believe I married you. Yep, it's your fault. Faith, we thank. Can I buy you a fish sandwich? And and for any any uh, any just in case there are any bourbon uh, type folks out there who are who are listening, yes, I like to drink my bourbon on the rocks. I know that might be heresy to some people because of course you're watering it down, yada yada yada. Um, I will say that I do taste all bourbon neat, 
So you have to taste it first without ice or anything like that. And, and that way you, you know what you're getting. But having done that and being familiarized with it now, I enjoy it with a little bit of ice. I like how there's like a protocol for tasting. You know, like, like you're, you're apparently you felt that it was important enough to describe this to our listeners to keep your credentials of sorts when it comes to the bourbon consumption. Well, I've worked very hard on this. And the thing is, <laughs> all right, so we'll go do a little like one minute Todd biography here. Like back in the day, I was beer snob guy. Loved me to. And, and for me, it was always about the variety of different beers that were available. Yeah. So, you know, I would walk into a beer aisle and I'd be like, oh, look at all the choices here. This is oh, stouts, IPA, this and the other. And then I got diagnosed with celiac disease, which is uh, it's an autoimmune disease that basically gluten causes your body to attack itself. And the, the non-glamorous way of saying it is that you, your body will actually perforate your own intestine and leach out stuff into your body. That's disgusting. So it's definitely when you find that out, you don't cheat on that gluten-free diet, no. which is kind of a blessing because it gave me good reason not to do that. Yeah. However... Uh, so I couldn't be beer snob guy anymore. So I tried uh, wine snob guy, which I just never quite took. Cider snob guy, which worked all, all right, but it's just nothing but sugar. And after a while, a cider is a cider. And then I realized, hey, I kind of like whiskey, so let me dive into this. So there you have it. Can, 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 can we I back up to, to the wine phase you went through? Because I kind of see a Paul Giamatti vibe, you know, from kind of the... A movie sideways with you, you know, where, you know, I, where, where, where I, where I could see you and I going to a restaurant and, you know, you come back and you're like, I'm not, we're not going to drink any Merlot. <laughs> well, and see, the funny thing is I am not a Merlot guy. So yeah, yeah I would totally do that. I, I'm not a big fan of Merlot. I, uh, my favorite, if I have to have a wine, I, I've not a white wine guy, definitely a red wine guy. Yeah. Uh, Pinot Noir is my thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like a wine that kind of kind of smacks you around a little bit. Mm-hmm. It does it, not like that whole oh, I want it to be a buttery, smooth like that. My wife loves wines that are nice and smooth, and you know all that. I I like my wine to to be very upfront about you know having an attitude problem. Direct, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, we that way we each know where we stand. Just try to be your normal humorous self, okay? The guy you were before the tailspin. Wow, this has gone a lot deeper than I really intended, but it's kind of fun. Hey, you know, we got a little uh, snapshot into your life, my friend. Bring your Xanax. And the nice thing is we don't have like six different episodes of Battlestar Galactica to talk about, so we might actually, <laughs> we have a little extra time to burn. Like, it's just a very laissez-faire kind of... Kind of evening. What What am I going to do? I, I can't say Adama, Starbuck, and Apollo every other word. So, you know. I know. I, you know what? We'll get through this together, sir, because I'm a little scared myself. So say we all. We've been, we, this, you even worked it in. Look at that. <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, for all of you who, who do tune in and who have subscribed, we, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Uh, this, is, this is a lot of fun for us just to get together and to chat. And we're glad that you folks get to listen in and and apparently seem to enjoy it because uh, folks have been downloading the uh, the various episodes, and it seems like kind of they're they're all getting downloaded at this point, which is cool. Uh, so if you want to follow us on social medias, uh, you can follow us on the Twitters uh, or on the Facebook or the Face page or my face or whatever you call it. Face mash, um, face share, yeah, something like that. You can find us uh, on Twitter and Facebook, both at Free Range Idiocy. And uh, you can also go to freerangeidiocy.com. Uh, 
That'll take you right to our Podbean page. You can subscribe there. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Once again, I have not done jack squat about getting us onto Spotify. Thank you very much. I still think it's a New York conspiracy on that one, but that's just me. You know, <laughs> at this point, I think you're right. I, either that or just outright sheer laziness on my part. I'd say it's 50-50. Nah. You know something, soldier? I've noticed you're always last. I'm pacing myself, Sergeant. Okay, so uh, this entertainment grab bag thing is going to be uh, kind of interesting. So a few things have happened uh, this past week, and keep in mind that when we say this past week, it's uh, August 22nd when we're talking about this. Uh, so let's start off first and foremost. Yes. Uh, big movie announcement. They're going to make another Matrix movie, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, we have we have Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss both on board, mm-hmm. and uh, one out of two Wachowskis as well. And Lawrence Fishburne is uh, MIA at the moment. You're not very good at retiring. I'm working on it. Uh, so far, yes. You know, it's funny when when I read the article, based on the way, and, and tell me if it if you just had this this thought pop into your head just for a moment. The way they mm-hmm. described it, because because you were kind of reading it to me just before we started to, to record, I had to pause for a moment and say, did Lawrence Fishburne pass away? And I just didn't, you know, I wasn't paying attention or something. Because the way they worded, it sounds like, you know, the role will be played by someone else. You know, like you normally say that about someone who is no longer with us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he's, but he's but he is very much alive. Us. So Yes. Uh, he was just in John Wick 3. Yes. Which uh, his character? Have you seen any of the John Wick movies? I have not. I, I feel embarrassed. Oh, I, man. I know. I feel embarrassed to admit I've heard very, very good things about it. I once saw him kill three men in a bar with a bouncer. They are so good. Yeah. Well, you go. um, and of course, the fun, the funny part is to bring this all full circle. Uh, I believe written and directed by Keanu Reeves' stunt double from the Matrix movies. Oh, no kidding. And that's how the the whole thing kind of got started. And that's also, I think that was one of the ways that Lawrence Fishburne got himself into it as well. Yeah. But they are fantastic. It's as far as like just a fun action movie. It is, they're just phenomenal. And they're so over the top. And just, I did not get a chance to see uh, John Wick 3 in the theater. I kicked myself for it because I would have loved to. But I'm, as soon as that is out on on DVD. Yeah. You best believe I'll be I'll be getting myself a copy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But so those those were fantastic. Uh but you can you can see that the John Wick movies have a lot owe a lot to the Matrix movies. Oh yeah. yeah. Just just with the kind of the style and everything else. It's kind of like the next logical step mm-hmm. in in evolution, you know, if you will. Nice. I can't decide if I'm actually excited about this or morbidly curious because you know, on one hand I I really 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 loved the the first Matrix movie, uh, which the Matrix yeah. would be um, the title, and uh, so that was twenty years ago. Yeah. By the way, in case you want to really feel like an old bastard right now, death stalks you at every turn. Twenty years ago, since uh, the Matrix debuted, oh man, fantastic movie. I still to this day maintain, even though I've so many people have said, oh, it was always meant to be a trilogy. I don't buy it. Yeah. I really don't. I think that otherwise you don't have Neo fly off at the end of the first movie. Anyways, that's my contention. Okay. Fantastic movie. The next two 
less so. I mean, yeah, I think the so I, I was willing to give I, I gave the movie a lot of latitude. Um, I, I understand why Pete or those two movies a lot of latitude because I understand that there was an element of over explanation that happened, um, especially in the second one, you know, the explaining what what had happened. And, and you know, I was I, I guess I was kind of in the minority that I thought it was kind of an interesting you know twist for them to make it about you know, him being this, this Messiah figure, um, and having that be actually another measure of control of sorts, you know, um, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting twist to put on it that even though he is who he is, it's, it's all kind of factored into the greater plan that's in play. Um, but I think a lot of people did not like that. And, and they especially didn't like the over explanation part with the architect that, that ended up happening toward the end of that second movie. Um, and then the third movie was just the you know the payoff to that, which you know it got a little. They kind of went off track a little bit, I think, with with the whole Neo and uh, Smith, you know, kind of being a balance and counterbalance. And um, but but when you look at it as a whole, I, I do think it was kind of an interesting movie in that it wasn't necessarily all, or an interesting series of of movies in that it wasn't always about the human race triumphing. It was about, for the first time, establishing peace. You know what I mean? And and th- yeah. that part of it, I, I appreciated that they did. I just think there, there were elements about how they got there that I think just alienated the science, you know, the sci-fi fan base that was, you know, first kind of brought in with, with the first movie. Yeah, I mean, and I haven't watched the second and third movies in a while although i have watched I, I i will say it's not like i didn't give them a try i've i've watched definitely watched the first movie the most but i've watched the second and third movies a fair amount of times i mean i probably watched it watched both watched them each three to four times yeah you know but i'm and of course i'm also one of those people who i i tend to rewatch movies yep on the regular i i i am one of those people who can do that um, but even that, even that being said, I gave him a fair shake. One of the things that that really kind of bugged me, just on a a character level, was feeling that Morpheus was was much more of the leader of kind of the the human resistance or whatever yes. uh, in Zion, and then finding out, oh no, he's just another captain. Right. Right. That kind of yeah. sucks, but I mean, I kind of understand how it works, and you need that central figure in the first movie, yeah. and then you, you also can't have him also be in charge of everything. There has to be a foil for him, so I, I kind of get it. Yeah, That's just more me as a fan kind of being like, oh, I feel you guys kind of pulled the wool over my eyes, and I don't like that, shaking my fist at them because I'm... Oh, you lousy Springfielder, you shake harder, boy! Old and crotchety now. Right, and... Um, Though I didn't mind so much the like some of the philosophical questions though. Right. Yes. I, I thought I actually thought that part was interesting to me. It was some of the it, it felt like it felt like the story got lost and bloated a little bit. Almost like they were trying to fill up a trilogy rather than mm-hmm. yes. you know trying to trying to make the story work. They were trying to fill up some dead space. I felt like there was some parts of it that just kind of wandered off, and I'm like, eh, yeah, where the how are we going now? Well, know? and and I, I go back and forth. I, I mean, I, I've read the the Wachowskis talk about how 
and, and you know they, they did this with the three movies that you know the first one is about birth the second one is about life and the third one is really about death <laughs> That's only the cat. The, the thing that always kind of gnaws at me about the third one is just I, I appreciate them trying to use or, or try to bring into kind of a visual sense the idea of a virus that has infected this system. But there's also some kind of a ridiculousness that comes with seeing him walk, you know, down that street as he faces off him being Neo walking uh, towards Smith. And just yeah, having the entirety of the thing be just Smith's. It just, it's like, it's just kind of like over the top, you know? And there was definitely kind of, there was definitely an anime um, influence in all of this. Cause I think, you know, building up to that third movie, they had always intended to do that kind of a fight scene where it was very anime like and, you know, flying and kind of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon sort of stuff where it's, you know, flying around and just these, um, you know, it, 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 it took the grounding away from, from the fighting that existed in the first movie. You know, it, it was a much less grounded movie from that perspective. And I think that's, th- those are elements I always struggle with when, when, I, uh, w- when I go back to watch that is just, it, it just kind of feels a bit too much. Yeah. Do you remember which movie the playground fight was in? Was that the second or was that the third? That was the second one. Okay. Because that, to me, that's where it kind of started going over the top. Yeah. And the yeah. third... And and on again on one hand I kind of understand where you're heading with that and I I can respect that it's a it's a valid direction it's a you know it, it, it I mean don't get me wrong I still enjoyed watching all the movies yeah. it's not like I was I I went out in the yard and burned you know reloaded and and revolutions in in the yard in a in a ceremony mm-hmm. you know shaking my fist at the sky I don't know why I'm into this whole shaking my fist at things right shake now shake harder boy shake harder boy I I feel <laughs> I feel I feel very old right now. Like I, I feel like my AARP card's coming in the mail tomorrow. Oh, um, brother, I shouldn't say that. I've got friends who have AARP cards. And <laughs> my back. They hit me with their canes. <laughs> Damn! Oh, that's right. Oh dear. You know who you are. Anyways, um, good thing they don't listen. Um, no one that I know listens to this actually. They're not listening I, yet. Has your wife actually listened to any of these episodes? Uh, no, not yet. Me, me neither. Anyways, which is probably for the best, honestly. But I, but I have, I have all their worst and, opinions of us. I have friends and family who have. So, well, that's a good. quick, a quick thank you to them. Aww. So, yeah. But bringing it, Anyways. but bringing it back to the subject at hand, I, I I'm curious to yeah, see where please. this story takes place because because you, you had brought up an interesting point as we were you know talking before uh, starting the show that, um when it discussed someone else playing Morpheus, that it would be a younger Morpheus. And so if this is something where it's, you know, before the events that happen in the trilogy, I don't know how I feel about that because, yeah, you know, the entire concept of Neo started with that first movie. And the thing that I, that would engage me would be, and, and this kind of plays into the story they were telling in two and three is the idea that, what he is is something that has happened before. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. the story that I think I would get into is, are they going to now start with, I think if I remember from the movie, right, what would be the eighth iteration of the one? And what we don't know is, was the one a different looking person or has it always been this, this Neo character, you know, that, that is just the one that eventually, you know, becomes this, this Messiah figure. Um, 
Wow, I never thought of it that way. So, so that's, th- an, that's an interesting question because then now is Neo gonna? Will there be another one? Because Neo has kind of triumphed in a way, right? And is still obviously existent in this in this universe because, well, <laughs> he's attached to play something, right? He ain't gonna be, you know, he ain't gonna be playing, you know, dude number three. Well, and he's gonna be older um, and. Yeah. So it's but I I wonder it will then will he co will this be like the first time that the one coexist with the one? That, oh, that's an interesting point. And and actually another thing that I thought of as you were mentioning and I hadn't thought of this before too. They there is a bit of a precedent for someone playing the same character and looking different because if you remember they had to recast the Oracle. Yes. Because the actress who had played her in the first movie passed away. And so she looked different in the second movie. Correct. Correct. And they managed to kind of explain that. I forget exact exactly how, but they did explain that. So that could be another way that they could do it. Yeah, they, they tried to work. In the third movie, they worked into some explanation that, like, the Merovingian had either captured her or had broken what they called her shell. They were trying to use, like, computer terminology to create imagery of what happened to her and so what we saw in the third movie was meant to be a new shell for her um if you will was it the third movie or was it it was the third one the 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 lady who played it in the first movie i forget her name it's gloria something um uh yeah she was in the first and the second and then she died in between the second and third huh and so they brought in um her her replacement interesting but but i think that's it there is a precedent there, so I mean, yeah, and, and, and it could do something like that. Well, and it kind of begs the question too, like what what is the story they're going to tell, um, which is what's not known right now, and is that story meant to you know launch into another trilogy of sorts? I hope not. I, I honestly hope not. And by the way, Gloria Foster, and you were Thank right; you. It, she was in the first two, and it was it was the third one where she had she was recast. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope not. I mean, I mean, honestly. I don't want to be the Star Wars, the pissy Star Wars fan. I don't. I'm kind of getting tired of like everything having to be a trilogy. Yeah. Just make me one movie and go from mm-hmm. there. I, I'm tired of hearing about, oh, this is a new trilogy we're starting off. I could care less. Yeah. I would rather you just actually make a good movie without trying to think about the next two movies. Right. Um, and I'd be fine if this was like, you know, I mean, you can still... They could pull, always pull a page out of the Douglas Adams, you know, school of thought of, hey, it's still a trilogy. It's a four movie trilogy. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> you know what? We're talking about virtual reality and people like with, you know, quarter inch sockets on the back of the brain where, whoa, I know Kung Fu. Yeah. Does this really have to make sense to you? I would kind of respect that. Yeah. But I'm, I, I kind of hope not. Well, I, I really I don't I don't need another three Matrix movies. I just kind of want I want one really good movie that is as good or as close to as good as the first movie was to finish this off. Right. I would be more than happy with that. And and that's what I'm kind of struggling with picturing in my head is what, what is that story? Like you brought up an interesting point that I hadn't thought about, which is would they, I mean, would they go all the way back to tell the story of the first one? You know, like, and that's where I could see a younger Morpheus kind of coming into it because, because like I said, I mean, the the humans probably have changed over time, you know, because they're they're not being 
uh, you know, replicated in reality. But in the Matrix, and given the fact that what Neo is is something that is essentially all of the, how did the architect put it? He he's kind of like all of the, the unbalanced part of the equation. You know that that is mm. kind of manifest itself into this thing. Um, you know, is it is it possible that it always ends up being him? I I don't know. You know, so it's either. Something in the beginning would interest me. Something that follows what we saw in the trilogy and brings about a different kind of purpose. I mean, it it it, uh, it that would be interesting. Um, I really hope it's not a rehash of Neo versus Smith. I, I think that's done. You know, it's there, yeah. there's nothing really left to do with that. Um, you know, they. I, I think, like you said, the apex of that that story was really the first movie, and then it just got more and more ridiculous with the copies. Yeah. Although, you know what, kind of an interesting point that you brought up about, you know, going back to the first iteration of the Matrix and would it be Morpheus? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you're talking you're still talking about human consciousness, you know, from a from a body, you know. So if they're jacked into the Matrix, then they're they're there's still a lifespan. Correct. And so when you go through these iterations, you're dealing with uh, a generation or two because they kind of keep replaying the same span of time right? right if i remember correctly from the first one like this is the apex of your civilization and this is just kind of the time period that keeps getting played over and over now the question i would have is when you're dealing with some of the main characters mm-hmm. and i hear i'm not talking about necessarily characters in a movie but characters in the play that is the matrix because if you're thinking about it as a program mm-hmm. there's some main characters that are going to repeat themselves right you would think do and if they do repeat themselves so is there always a morpheus right is there always a trinity is there always a switch is there always that's, a yeah that, that's where i'm kind of going Pantaleone's character right. so it could be recast and it's still morpheus right but it's a totally different person yeah that could be kind of cool yeah um and i think the other thing that's interesting in that is the fact that if neo can change anything he wants inside the matrix mm-hmm. Is that a way for him to go back and access those previous iterations without making it like a time travel story? Because right. I, I hope they don't do that. Like, yeah. I mean, Endgame kind of <laughs> did it recently and everybody's seen it. But I mean, they also kind of did it in a really cool way that we hadn't seen necessarily before while also spoofing time travel. I just don't. I don't want anyone else to mess with that and then fall flat in their yeah. face. I just don't need to watch that. Right yeah, now. and and Endgame just set the bar for for the time travel being done in in a very entertaining and correct way. Um, yeah, and uh, so you mean Back to the Future is? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, We're trying to be family friendly, ladies that, and gentlemen. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I, I mean, one thing, and, and you brought it up just now, and, and, and it's, it's true, is that if, if, if we are to believe, you know, from the story, if we are to believe the architect, that it, it is a generational thing. I, I was thinking as I was talking that maybe, you know, even though we, we as the, you know, viewers took in all that explanation as there have been seven iterations, I, you know, I was wondering, is it possible those seven iterations happened within the same lifespan? You know, so like Morpheus actually was part of those. It was just, you know, just a constant reboot because of problems. But I think they made it pretty clear that they, they did a complete purge um, of of that Zion reality that that uh, that Morpheus was a part of. And, you know, there was kind of like a rebirth that happened with whoever remained and so forth. So it is kind of generational. Um, so I think what you said is right on. So I. 
yeah, I'm not really sure where, where they can take it. I mean, they both both characters of Neo and Trinity pretty much definitively died, you know, at the end of Revolutions. And so um, if they were to do something that follows after it, yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of understand how they would be brought back. Although, I mean, honestly, in in that last movie, you have Neo basically pull a bullet out of Trinity and then he's managing to kill the oh what the heck are the squid looking things yeah the uh, um, the sentinels uh, sentinels yeah. he manages to shut them down in the real world yes which is something that he couldn't do so I mean in some ways I mean they've given I, and the, it's kind of nice they did give themselves a lot of leeway in there and they managed to give someone they did infinite powers but they didn't they didn't necessarily go full bore with it. Mm-hmm. So they did leave themselves a little bit of playroom there. Although, uh, like, I don't know if you meant it this way, but that's an interesting point. Like, I wonder if they would end up playing, like, if there's almost like an echo of sorts within the Matrix still of the two of them. Because um, mm-hmm. they both they both definitively die in the real world in, in, in the third movie. I mean, Trinity's pretty yeah. much torn up and then... And then Neo just gets overloaded, you know, basically gets burned out by, by the machines taking out Smith. So um, so it's an interesting idea that in the Matrix, could there be like this echo of them that still permeates? You know what I mean? Either that or it's almost like like Rocky II. Okay, <laughs> bear with me here. Oh, good. Hey, Apollo. Bear Apollo, with me. Did, did you give me your best? Hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, lo- I, 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 I love that scene. Apollo just has this look on his face like, dude, do you see how I look right now? Am I in the mood to yeah. answer your questions? <laughs> you, know, you got a lot of energy for someone who just finished the fight. Um, but anyway, so bear with yes, me. Please, bear with me. Go for it. And I, I, am, I am on my first whiskey still, for the record. So it's like Rocky Two. You get like the last five, ten minutes of the of of the third Matrix movie. That's how the movie starts. You start just with the first, like the last bit of the last movie. Yes. Okay, and at the last, at the end of the last movie, short of when you have the Oracle and the uh, the architect talking at the end on the park bench kind of thing, the ep- epilogue portion, like just the, the Trinity Neo part. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Trinity's like, ah, and then, you know, then Neo gets up to the top and makes his deal with like the machines and all that stuff. And, and then his body you know is there and all that and they i think they carry him away or something i can't remember exactly how the whole thing they they carry him away and then they show kind of the machine view of him where there's this like essence that's still there there's like this just shining light that's like cross i mean it was very very much you know making the point that he is the he, he ended up being the the savior of both worlds okay so right there we hold on that and then up in the right corner, you see like a little plus one appear. Okay. Dude, it's like video games. He's got like an extra life. <laughs> you saying you got the Mario Mushroom Man? Yeah, you just get you get that little coin sound, and all of a sudden, Ding! we're off to the races for the next one. There we go. There we go. Bada bing, bada boom. You know what? It could happen. Uh, Lana, Lena, I'm. I'm ashamed to say I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure of the pronunciation of her name. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna guess it's Lana, because mm-hmm. it's L A N A. I don't know. Anyways, people. I mean, you can pronounce names in like every different way. Um, I mean, look at Sarday. I never. W- I'm like, eh. uh, <laughs> I'm, c- 
gosh, I just dated myself there. Oh, that hurts. Um, anyways, but do I, tell. You know, give me a call. I'm more than willing to work up a treatment for you. I, I, <laughs> I'll burn the midnight oil. <laughs> that start that, right off there, man. That's right. You are a screenwriter in uh, in action right now, aren't you? Oh well, not so much in action. I'm I'm a screenwriter in uh, in learning. Okay. All right. Which is is honestly, it's fun. It's fun to do something like that because you you start. Um, it's almost like learning a new instrument, and, and this is one of the reasons why I've I feel like I've really managed to keep my my love and excitement for music is because I keep throwing myself a new challenge of like, okay, yeah, learn how to play this. Okay, yeah, learn how to play that. And I don't. It's not like I'm a, you know, I play bass. I do not sound like Victor Wooten or or Jocko. Mm-hmm. But I can play, and it makes it, it has changed my perception of and, and my method of listening to music, you know, things like that. So, writing, trying to write scripts, and and learning more about screenwriting, has made me watch movies and and television in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And approach it, and really think about it in a different way. And I've I've still managed to hang on to that whole. Um, we had talked a couple episodes ago about you know turning your brain off when you're watching. Right. I can still do that, mm-hmm. so I'm not sitting there analyzing every scene. I'll watch it once like that just for being a fan and all that. And then I'm like, okay, now let me watch it to to really sit here and analyze and pick it apart. Right. But it's cool. It's it's cool to do that, and I would recommend that for anybody. Like, if, if you love a movie, go ahead and, you know, see if you can find the screenplay. Like, see how it looks on a page and compare it. I mean, you're only going to more than likely you're only going to get a deeper appreciation for the movie. Right. So, right. but yeah, anyways, Lana, you know, hit me up. <laughs> Call me. This is all just really just, you know, networking for, for, for Todd. So make money, money, make money, money, money. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm networking here from the East coast to the West coast. And they're like, yeah, thanks. For- <laughs> I need money. The dude working down at the, at the, at the food saver in, in, uh, you know, in Bel Air. Yeah, has more has more screenwriting cred than you do. Good luck. <laughs> oh, come on. All right. So uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, let's just sum up here. Uh, just a quick gut reaction. Are you like kind of thumbs up? Like, yeah, this, uh, you know what? I'm kind of excited. Or are you like thumbs down? Like, no, please go away for Matrix. 4. I would have to say I am in the middle to turning the thumbs upward because no, there's no, there's no in the middle. We're taking that option away. Taking the it's option away. Okay. Up or down. I suppose I'll be a thumbs up. <laughs> I will as well. Well, and, I, and, and, and I'll explain why I said it that way. I, I just, in my mind, the jury is still kind of out because I want to understand what, what is this story going to be? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it, it's hard. Yes, it's the Matrix, and uh, you know I'm I, I am a big fan of it. As much as I you know had described some of my misgivings of certain things, I, I still enjoy it. I think it's a solid story. I think it's a good story. Um, you know, very like you said, it's got you know philosophical themes at a number of levels, and and uh, you know I, I I think it's 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 a you know, as we talked about when, when we first started this, this, I think our first podcast was about fans, right? And um, mm-hmm. I look at what the Wachowskis did as exactly what I would expect artists to do, which is they tried to bring a completely new kind of take on on this kind of a story. And, and I think, uh, you know, even though there are elements of it that I felt were a little over the top, it, it to me, the story is still solid. And I think it was... 
a refreshing story to tell because it wasn't the 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 uh, the standard good guys triumph over the bad guys. It was the good guys survived and what was the bad guys came to a, a compromise and and I think we don't see enough of those stories being told I think it's it's too much absolute on one side or the other and and so um, so going into this fourth one I'm just uh, I, I should be optimistic I should uh, trust that the story that they feel they want to tell is probably going to be told in a creative way. And, and like you, and I think, you know, you made a very good point that hopefully if this is really just one movie, that it is really about telling the best story in this one movie, um, with these characters that we enjoy. Yeah. And I agree. I think, I think one of the beauties of, especially the original matrix was there is so much exploration of the gray area. Yes. It's, it's not absolute right or wrong, even though you're dealing with, you know, kind of, it, they're trying to set it up as absolute right and wrong, but they, they do paint a lot in the gray area, and you kind of realize, like, oh, the absolute right and the absolute wrong is really just, like, a single dot mm-hmm. at each end. Yeah. And then everything in between is gray. Yeah. And I love how they played around in that area and really explored it. Uh, I am cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's only, where I am, yeah. If only because um, I, I, I think I have – actually, I have no good reason. I have a kind of a good feeling about it, and I'm also – I'm kind of a sucker because I'm also the person who back when uh, when uh, it wasn't um, – definitely wasn't Creed. It was Rocky Balboa when Rocky Balboa was coming out, and they had the trailer, and it just started off with a dun 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 and I was like, I'm in, I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm in. Yeah. I'm such a sucker for that. Yeah. And I kind of feel bad about it, but I'm I I, I will see it. I'll, whether I see it in the theater or whether I see it, you know, digitally on Blu-ray or whatever. But the one thing that does worry me a bit is there is not a great history of sequels that take place this far after the original movies, and it's sort of like coaches going back to become coaches again after they haven't been coaches for a while mm-hmm. or even players going back after they've had a couple of years off and they're like, I think I still got another year left of me. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you might think a lot of things. You should probably keep those inside your head. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I But I also know that The Matrix was such a mold breaker and genre busting and, and just such an original movie even though yeah you can say it borrowed from this and that and the other but the package was so original mm-hmm. that if anybody's going to kind of go against that trend uh, I'm not going to bet against uh, Wachowski yeah. And, yeah. and Keanu and, and Carrie Ann Moss I'm just not yeah. I'm, I'm going to hope for the best absolutely who's next alright so our second topic here is uh, another uh, announcement uh, this is not for a movie, though. This is for uh, something that's going to be happening on Netflix. This is a new show. Uh, this is Kevin Smith and his new Masters of the Universe anime show that will be happening on Netflix. So let me, uh, let me read a little bit about this. Um, so Kevin Smith surprised audiences at Sunday's annual PowerCon. I have no idea what the crap that is, but hey, convention by announcing a new anime He-Man series for Netflix. The new series titled Masters of the Universe Revelation will take place in the Mattel toy-inspired world and will focus on some of the 
of the unresolved storylines of the classic 80s show. Smith will serve as showrunner and executive producer. So two questions here for you, sir. Mm -hmm. First of all, did you realize that the original Masters of the Universe show uh, debuted in 19... Oh, crap. I scrolled past it. had to be like 84, right? It was 83. Okay. Yeah. And so ran 83 to 85. And that was it? Just two years? Says, is, yeah, it was it was two two seasons. Oh it was like gosh. 130 83 to 84 it was like 130 episodes. So it, it must have because, just been that it was on like every day is why I thought it like was on like I'm thinking it was on for longer. Well, think of it this way. So how many weeks in a year? 52. Yeah. You got 65 episodes. <laughs> that's that's a lot of TV. Yeah. So that is the first question. Did you know that? And uh, the second question is, did you realize there were unresolved issues? Because I sure as hell did. Well, your, your first question. I don't remember that far back. But then again, I don't remember last week. So your first question is basically, do you realize you're old is, is really what you're saying to me. Death stalks you at every turn. Uh, yes. And, and I do. I'm very, very cognizant of, of the uh, advancement of years that I'm in. If you don't start making more sense, we're going to have to put you in a hole. Uh, the second question is, um, Hang on, I gotta go take my pill. <laughs> my back. Um, is it is it the blue one and the purple one tonight, or is it the red one and the yellow one? Ah, hell, I'm just gonna take all of them. Yeah, Morpheus, take take the blue pill. Party time! Oh dear lord. Um, yeah, I I did not know that there were unresolved issues. Um, Especially when you consider that toward the end, I mean, if you want to call it that, it's not like I had any sense of timeline when I was watching the show. It was just like, like a show I watched like every afternoon after school. Um, but it just seemed like the bad guys got goofier and goofier and it just became more of like a comedy thing than anything else. So I, if, if the unresolved issues are that Skeletor finally, you know, nails the, uh, you know, comedic stand-up gig in Las Vegas, then, you know, great. But otherwise, uh, I, I didn't realize there was some sort of, you know, massive uh, standoff that needed or, or, you know, battle that needed to happen between these two. Okay, two things. First thing, Skeletor doing a stand-up comedy show in Vegas. Yeah. I would watch the crap <laughs> out of that show. You remember, uh, you remember way back in the day. Well, not way, not as far back as this, but you remember uh, Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, so the whole gimmick was Space Ghost was hosting like a talk show. Yes. Yep. No lawyer's gonna tell Space Ghost what to do. Same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I'd watch that. Mm -hmm. I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Yep. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, somebody get Kevin Smith on the damn phone right now. I've got a spinoff for him, all ready to go. Yes. So the second thing is, so you really felt that like there was like at the beginning of 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 Masters of the Universe, He Man and Masters of the Universe, they were dealing with some serious stuff, and by the end, it just got too goofy. Or did you just start noticing how goofy it was? Because I'm really kind of confused there. If if there was like, oh no, like at the beginning there was some serious stuff, and then towards the end, it was just getting a little too flip for my point. Well, I mean, we're going back a lot of years. Because you were a very discerning young man at that point, I got to tell you, because I was just watching and going, this is fun. Right. Battle Cat. Okay, boy. Let her rip. 
Well, you know, Skeletor's overuse of, of calling his, his uh, henchmen boobs whenever they would, you know. It's the sorceress, you boob. <laughs> whenever they would fail was always kind of funny. Um, Which in retrospect just makes every guy turn into like Beavis and or Butt. Right, of course. Um, but uh, no, I, I mean, as a kid, you you know, when I first saw, saw like commercials for the toys, you know, they, they do, they did have this kind of frightening look to them. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't like they were goofy when you first saw it. Um, in the show itself, yeah, they, you know, they, they toned it down and, you know, there was kind of that, I, I thought at first there was that kind of struggle for gray skull or something like that, but then it just kind of degenerated into, you know, whatever it was with, uh, I never really understood what it was about gray skull that was that important. It was like, yeah, the spooky old castle, but w- Oh, this magic. Yeah. Thing. Okay. Yeah. What magic? Uh, you don't need to know. Okay. And there's a great series on Netflix that, what the heck is it called? Um, I, I think it's called I Grew Up in the 80s, because it's been a while since I've watched an episode. But they did one on He-Man and Masters of the Universe. And it's all about the guys who um, came up with the idea for the toys. And and how like they literally from scratch just kind of came up with this concept. And, um, you know, kind of like most, most stories of... of you know, tech companies or, 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 or these things that kind of rocket to great success. I mean, they were making up so much of it as they were going mm-hmm. um, to the point where, um, you know, when, when it came time for like, like I think the TV show came about because they were doing like a comic book to complement the toys and it was all just a marketing thing. And then the, and then it became so big that the show was just like a, a, a no brainer. And so anyway, so, so just the creative process behind it was just really interesting about how they came to the characters and you know, kind of the backstory of Grayskull and so forth. So quick, quick side sidetrack here, because it, it's interesting you bring that up. So uh, the original action figures in, came out in 1981. Right. So it was, it, they were two years before the, the show, and they came with a little mini comic. Yes. So you're correct. They, they had the little mini comic, and that was kind of where it went. Then they had a second wave of action figures and mini comics. Um, and I'm not going to go into all the, like, the stuff uh and but then they actually had a one-year run with dc comics oh okay that was 82 to 83 which predated the the filmation animated series so there was kind of a build like there was a progression and i i do give uh, mattel credit for this uh as opposed to what was it hasbro i think that had the transformers where they basically just grabbed a bunch of transforming vehicles from from Japan, yeah, and like ain't nobody gonna know, right? And right. brought him to America and said, "Yeah, you're Optimus Prime, you're Sideswipe, you're Megatron, you know." And and we're like, "Here, make a story out of this," you know. Yeah, and and actually, the the Netflix series is is, uh, and I don't know if it's a Netflix series. It's a series on Netflix. It's called The Toys That Made Us. And and there there was one you just know, I about. Think I've seen that before. Yeah. So, yeah, I really didn't know there was anything left to resolve in that universe, um, yeah. which begs the question. But apparently there is. Which begs the question, if he's going to do this, and given the time we live in as far as how, you know, revisiting these sorts of stories is, does that mean is he going in more of a grounded cor- sort of, not, I don't mean to say grounded like He-Man on Earth or anything like that, but I'm saying it. You mean like the Dolph Lundgren movie? Uh, well, you know, Dolph is probably looking for work. Oh, I'm sure he is. 
I'm sure he is. <laughs> now that he's had his run as Drago uh, in, in Creed, Creed 2. I mean, that's only going to pay the bills for so that's long. That's right. But, um, but I'm wondering, is he going to have a more serious or more darker or, you know, kind of what we've seen happen with these sorts of things when they get rebooted around this time is um, it, it, it gets a different take to it that is meant to be edgier. You know what I mean? Like, like. Obviously, Kevin Smith is not going to redo the goofiness of what the 80s was, but... Well, I don't know, dude. I mean, it, it is Kevin Smith, so the hashtag incoming. Here's the, here's the standard issue joke that would go along with this. It's going to be Skeletor and one of his henchmen standing outside a convenience store dealing weed while <laughs> He-Man works at a convenience store and Ram Man works oh, good Lord. at the video store next door. Yep. Not even supposed to be here today. There you go. I, so now... Feel free. You've you've heard that joke because I knew it was coming, and I only I, I say that as someone who has been totally in the bag for Kevin Smith for a long time. Oh yeah, I, I I'm a I'm a I'm a very big admirer of his, and I I truly appreciate uh, what he's what he's done for a career. I mean, you you, you introduced know? me to him when when we were. Um uh, apartment mates. Uh, that was the first time I, I, I think I came home from work or from class one day or something and you were starting to watch Clerks and I just kind of plopped down and just got absorbed by it and just funny, funny movie. I mean, just so funny. Yeah. Um, and that I, that was the first time I had heard of him. So you, you were kind of my gateway into that, into the Kevin Smith world. You're welcome. So thank you. Yes. And I'm, and I'm still in the bag for him because uh, he has a new movie coming out, Jay and Silent Bob yep. Rebooted. Yep. Which again is it, we should we should have worked that somehow a couple episodes ago, but we're mentioning it now. So you know, Kev, we're we're right with you. <laughs> but they're doing uh, this thing called uh, Jay and Silent Bob Rebooted Roadshow. So they're going around to different cities and showing the movie um, in theaters and stuff. And I think they're doing question and answer. I hope they're doing question and answer. Uh, yeah. I've actually got tickets to go down to Boston to see that. Oh, that's so cool! I'm, nice. I am trucking my butt all the way down to Boston to see. A Kevin Smith movie nice and have paid a pretty penny for it but you know what it's all good because uh, I'm, a, I'm any I, I'm more than willing to support him as a, as an artist and, yeah uh, you know uh, as a as a fellow like child of the 70s 80s you know because he's a, he's a couple of years older than than me and, and and you as well yeah so but this was also well within his childhood you know so I think that he will I, I, th- I mean, I'm, in, I'm interested to see what his take will be on this. Yeah. I don't think it'll be grounded. I think it will be less silly, of course, because you're not you're not gearing it towards kids. You're gre- you're now gearing this towards the adults who were kids when they first got into this, right? And and but I really I really hope that he also manages to do. And this is a this is a lot. I hope he manages to do something that is. This is a weird comparison. I hope he manages to hit that Princess Bride territory. Right. Where right. it can be entertaining to adults and children so that adults who used to love this sort of, you know, shtick back in the day on Saturday morning cartoons will still kind of get something out of it, but yet they can show it to their kids. Right. Exactly. That's that's what I Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, half the reason it was as goofy as it was was back in that time, you know, they were really really targeting kids and so you well you're trying to sell toys you're trying to sell toys i mean that is yep that is like he-man gi joe that's right transformers go bots um and then she-ra of course which followed that part of the reason they killed he-man off 
or not killed him off, but they killed the show mm-hmm. off and then segued into Shiro's ratings and they wanted to launch new toys. Right, right. So anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to. No, no, that's okay. That. No, because you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the point pro- with him doing it now, the point is not going to be to sell the toys. It's going to be to tell a story. And what that story is will be kind of interesting to see what, what he comes up with and how that unfolds. And, um, and, and I think that's interesting because I don't think we've ever seen, you know, you, you had mentioned the Dolph Lundgren version and, and so forth, but I don't think we've ever seen, you know, real storytelling happen with that franchise. So I'm, I'm curious to see given, you know, how talented he is creatively that has he kind of concocted a story and, and, and you, anyone who follows Kevin Smith knows how nuts he is about star Wars, you know? So he, he's all about a story and mm-hmm. telling an effective one, you know, um, at, at, you know, to, to, to the point of, of, you know, just, just good storytelling and, and getting, um, getting good themes and, and, and something good across. And so I think he's got the talent to do it. It's just a question of what kind of story is he looking to tell and, and how he goes about telling it. Yeah. And I think one of the things I've appreciated about Kevin Smith's movies is that even when there's low production values like Clerks, which right. was, you know, to say it was shot on a shoestring is being mighty generous. It was shot on a shoestring that was about ready to break. Right. Um, I mean, there's a reason it was in black and white. It was cheaper. And uh, so, but the one thing I've always appreciated is that his movies do have this emotional center to them. Yeah. Yep. I think it was a, it was a little, t- it's a little tougher, I think, to discern in Clerks just because it's, it's his first time out doing everything, writing, directing the whole deal so I, I think it's a little it's there but it's not as obvious i think if you then go to like mall rats chasing right, amy right. uh dogma even jay and silent bob uh you know strike back and and and, and uh, certainly clerks too right was was to me is like still the gold standard for his movies yeah. which is so weird to say that a director's sequel to something is you know I think their best movie uh, because the heart in that movie was so right up in front. Mm-hmm. Dude, the Transformers sucked. Oh no, they didn't. They were more than meets the eye. You know, yeah. It, it was just like, it was obvious that this dude has, has, has gotten a little bit older and these characters have kind of aged with him yeah. and he's trying to, to convey that. Yeah. Um, you know, the question like I have is, you know, well, you know, one thing that was never really a part of the cartoons during our time was violence. You know, there was mm. fighting, but it, but you know, much like that era, like with GI Joe or with Transformers, the the fighting was very, it was there, but it was non, it, it was inconsequential. You know what I mean? Like, oh, good lord, you could you could shoot for like a half hour and nobody ever got hit. It, it was amazing. It, it was like they made stormtroopers look good. Right. And that was, in some ways, kind of the problem, I think, with He-Man, because it w- there was always this cool part of him changing into, you know, from uh, whatever he was, Adam to, to He-Man. Yeah, Prince Adam. Prince Adam into He-Man. The most, and then he changes into the most powerful man in the universe, but yet he don't kick nobody's butt. Well, th- and that's exactly Not it. really. Yeah, that's exactly it. He, he doesn't really use the sword in any sort of truth. You know, it wasn't like he and Skeletor threw down a bunch of times. You know him thwarting the bad guy and you know going on to fight another day sort of thing and so i'm curious if yeah. part of what he's 
going to do is not just the creative storytelling, but are we also going to start seeing a part of, um, you know, just, I don't mean to get into the violence part, but just the fact of the matter is these are characters who are, who have talent and skill to fight and they never really applied that. And I'm curious if he's going to explore that in the storytelling that he's going to do. I would think you'd have to. Um, So I, I just want to read this real, uh, this, this brief quote. Uh, and this, uh, the, the bit that I read before in this are all both from the Variety article on the, on the new series. I'll link this in the show notes. So Kevin Smith says, I am eternally, I see what you did there, grateful to Mattel TV and Netflix for entrusting me with not only the secrets of Skull but also their entire universe. In Revelation, we pick up right where the classic era left off to tell an epic tale of what may be the final battle between He-Man and Skeletor. Brought to life with the most metal character designs powerhouse animation contained in the frame, this is the Masters of the Universe story you always wanted to see as a kid. Oh, interesting. I, I think that you're actually going to see some, some real battle yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do like the fact that with anime... I'm interested to see what Kevin Smith will do with that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's not, I mean, he's, he's written for comics before. And, and again, I have no idea what the writing process is, but I would imagine it has to be a, a little bit similar in that you're writing and you're, then you hand it off to an artist and you're like, okay, make this a thing. Right. <laughs> like, right. like, here's dialogue and here's kind of the direction of what I'm thinking. Draw me something. Right, right. Um, so I'm interested to see what he would do with that because I've, I've seen briefly some of his uh, the comics that he's written and they're and they're they're pretty good. Um, I'm curious to see what this will be like. Yeah. So yeah. so what do you think? Are you thumbs up? You're kind of optimistic. Thumbs down? Like no, please don't ever do this. Um, I think I'm going to go in the middle on this one. I. Dude, I told you the middle is 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 not available at this moment. Oh, there's no thumbs in. Oh, I thought there was up there's, middle or there's down. There's no thumbs in the middle. I'm. Oh, okay. You know what? Be bold, sir. Oh, my I, again, I'm shaking my fist at the screen. I'm sorry. Shake out a boy. Shake out a boy. So, uh, anyways, for me, I'm sorry. I'm thumbs up because honestly, this is a real low low risk investment for me. Yeah. I it's been so long since I've even thought about He Man yeah. that uh, I, hey, you know what? I, and and again, I'm in the bag. For, for Kevin Smith, so uh, I will give a thumbs up. I'm also, uh, I have a kind of a, a bright uh, outlook for this one because uh, the writers include uh, Eric Carrasco mm-hmm. uh, from Supergirl, Tim Sheridan of Reign of the Supermen, Daya or Dia Mishra, Magic, uh, Magic the Gathering, and Mark Bernardin, Alphas, who also... Uh, was a writer with co- uh, a, a series called Castle Rock, hmm. uh, former journalist with EW uh, Entertainment Weekly, and also Kevin Smith's co-host for Fat Man Beyond. And, and, and he's the guy that does the podcast with Trisha Helfer, right? Yes, indeed. There it is. So it, if Mark Bernardin and Kevin Smith are involved, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah, I, and I never, we'll I never gave you my rating, so I, I will go a thumbs up because based on what I have seen in the past with Kevin Smith, he, he is a... He is an artiste. He is creative, and uh, if if it was in anyone else's hands, it'd probably go south. So, well, I don't know about that. I mean, maybe we get the other Warchowski to be involved in this. <laughs> There'd be lots of vinyl clothing involved. Probably, I think. yes. Who 
next. All right, so now we get to the, the third part of our entertainment grab bag. And this one here is a little... This one's a little tough, I got to admit. Oh, gosh. Th- th- this is the hand-slapping emoji to the forehead. It's just like, what the heck? It's tough because it, it kind of sucks from a, a fan point of view, but it's also frustrating. Yeah. So uh, the news came out this week that Spider-Man and the MCU are, are no longer BFFs. They're no longer superheroes with benefits. There's, there's nothing. It's done. It's over. Mm-hmm. Just come, don't even come by to pick up your toothbrush. I'll throw it out on the lawn kind of territory. Do you know all the all the kind of the back story with this whole thing or or how this whole the how Sony has has is making Spider-Man movies and all that? Do you I mean I I I mean I know as much as I think you know as far as what the, the news that came out this week cuz I this really caught me off guard. I had no idea this was even a thing that it was coming, you know, that the they were trying to renegotiate um and, and, and I will tell you why this got me by surprise. And a lot of it has to do with what they did with Far From Home. Um, because after seeing that movie, it, they very clearly, they being Marvel, I, I was, I, I'm assuming here, um, that they were very clearly positioning Spider-Man um, to be the Tony Stark going into this next phase. Yes. And... and so for me, the business part of it never really came into mind because I'm like, why on earth would you tell a story like this if there was even a chance that this wouldn't happen unless they just didn't think this would ever happen? Um, and so that, that's the part that's kind of weird. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. Uh, and this will seem like an incredibly sideways detour, but I promise it ties in in a couple of ways. Have you ever seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks? Yes. Oh, sweet. So that tells the story of uh, Walt Disney trying to make Mary Poppins yes. and trying to get um, the rights from uh, P.J. Travers. Yes. Yep. Do I have that mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's one point where she's digging the, the author of Mary Poppins and, and several Mary Poppins books. And, and she, had f- she had said no to Walt Disney for good Lord. almost 20 years or something and so she finally says yes because she's basically on the verge of bankruptcy or losing her house she's no longer writing mary poppins novels her agent is begging her to go to the u.s and and talk with disney because i imagine at this point he's like promising the sun the moon the stars it's like you have complete control which is something that disney would not do and at one point she puts her foot down she's in this in this session with like the the brothers who uh, write the music, I can't remember their names. Um, oh, yeah. I, gosh. Yeah, it's but they're the, 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 the famous brothers who wrote music for tons right. of Disney movies. And, you know, they're all in there and the script writer and all this stuff in there and, and Walt's in there. And she digs in her heels and says, nope, no whatever. Animation or whatever it is that, that she doesn't want to do. And he finally is like, okay, boys, that's what we're going to do. And he walks out frustrated. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys is like, he doesn't have the rights. Right. And she has not signed over the rights for Mary Poppins yet. It's still a, a deal in progress. Like, she's she's working on it in order to see if she'll eventually 
give up the rights. And Disney wants to make this movie so badly right, right. that he is willing to work under those conditions. He's willing to put in his own money, his own time, in order to try to get her convinced. Correct. Almost like if you if you uh, in like a in like a sport you trade for someone in the last year of the contract knowing they're going to be a free agent and you're hoping in that year you're going to convince them to stay right. for a long-range contract even though you gave up. You might have given up like the kitchen sink, your team's future, draft picks, everything. You're hoping that in that year you're going to convince them this is the place for you. Yeah. That's what Disney was doing with, with Travers. I think that's what Disney and Marvel was doing with Spider-Man in that last movie, you mean so? You mean um, Sony and Marvel? No, I, Disney and Marvel when they because oh, they oh, really oh, had okay. a, a almost complete control. I mean, yeah. Kevin Feige was the producer, yeah. Um, and I think the way that they ended that movie and the way that they were positioning, and especially the fact that they tied Spider-Man to Tony Stark immediately, mm-hmm. and I mean, Tony Stark was even though you look at. Um, Thor Ragnarok and Captain America Civil War and, and, and they had a lot of great characters right. Tony Stark was the character and if you're going to if you're going to bring in a character immediately and, and that character is met in his apartment by Tony Stark mm-hmm. talking to Aunt May that's an important piece right there right. like you are definitely you are, you are saying this is an important thing for us right and so to tie those two characters together and and also in such an emotional way and so beautifully in Infinity War and Endgame um, and, and even Homecoming. I mean, they did a beautiful job in that um, uh, of, of tying those characters in together and, and working them together. They invested a lot in that. And I think they were doing that because, one, it benefited them. Mm-hmm. But, two, they were really hoping that, you know, Sony would kind of see like, hey, look. This benefits all of us mm-hmm. to let us play with your toys. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Because um, back in the day, like years and years and years and years ago, before Marvel had their own studio, they were on hard times. And they were selling off IP. They sold off Spider-Man and, and basically all of the characters that were associated with Spider-Man, which is why Sony also made a Venom movie mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and then they sold off the X-Men to uh, Fox, and they also sold off Fantastic Four, I believe, to Fox. Or was that a different... I, I think I've messed this up before. But anyway, they sold off Fantastic Four and X-Men, which basically took away all the mutants and Fantastic Four characters, and they sold off Spider-Man. And that's why the first Marvel movie you have is Iron Man, because they're like, well, <laughs> why not? Right. So getting Sony to kind of lend them Spider-Man was a deal, and apparently the deal was extraordinarily generous to Sony like it was like 5% mm-hmm. of the profit or uh, 5% of the gross I think went to Marvel yeah that's a lot to basically have someone come in because they they'd made the the three Tobey uh, Maguire movie uh, crap am I getting that right Tobey Maguire yeah okay and then they they made those and they shot themselves right in the foot with Spider-Man 3 mm-hmm. I mean the whole like Great James Brown song, bad idea having Spidey dancing around Manhattan. Right. Bad idea, right. bad idea. Raise up, get yourself together. Grab that funky soul. Um, and uh, 
And then bringing in the dude from that 70s show, like, ooh, you would have been better bringing in Hyde. Telling you, the government has a car that runs on water, man. <laughs> they just don't want us to know, because then we'd buy all the water. Then there'd be nothing left to drink but beer. And the government knows that beer set us free. Anyways, uh, then they brought in uh, Andrew Garfield, I believe, mm-hmm. to play Spidey in uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. So we got to see Uncle Ben killed again, because why not? You know. Uh, so then they had two of those movies. They made a bunch of money, but people just were like, eh. Right. Which eventually brought them, brought them to the point of Sony contacted Marvel. Mm-hmm. That's how this whole thing started. Like Sony reached out to Marvel. I need money. Well, and 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 that's where I was going to go is that I think the track record is they they struggle with with telling stories with that character, and I think um, the success that has been you know seen with the character. It, you know, Sony's playing a very dangerous game because while Spider-Man as a franchise has done very well over the last two movies and that character played a very, you know, you know, kind of critical and pivotal, um, you know, role in, in the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Um, that character also has a real risk of falling into kind of the Incredible Hulk category of things where the the character is cool when he's in a group and and it works when he's in that ensemble but when he's on his own what story are you telling you know what i mean well that's where i would disagree however i i do agree that they're playing a dangerous game i also like to live dangerously cuz uh well so so spider-man far from home mm-hmm. was it has now become the biggest sony movie ever made over a billion dollars mm-hmm. Biggest movie they've ever had. Not biggest superhero movie. Biggest movie. Um, so and I so Sony owns Columbia. So think of every movie that you saw the, you know, Statue of Liberty ish, lady at the beginning of, bigger than all them. Right. Right. So they made a butt ton of money, and now kind of the expression I've seen in several of these stories has been they feel they've learned enough from you know Kevin's playbook. The problem I think is. And this is something that I think uh, could affect any superhero movie. Is it's tough for any superhero to live in a vacuum, and that's yes. why um, kind of Batman started getting because you start trying to top yourself. You know, if you don't populate that world with other heroes, or I mean, you can you can populate with other villains certainly, and and Spider Man has as good of a rogues gallery as as Batman has. Um, but if you don't populate it with other heroes, right, right, you know what are you really doing? Eventually, it's just like yeah, Spider-Man saves New York again, right? Okay, and, and eventually you get to a point where you're almost heading into that die-hard territory where it's like, okay, John McClane is going to save the world. He's just a cop, right. like he's just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. He he isn't going to save the world on his own. You know what right. I mean? Right, and, and I think... If you don't have the other heroes, and they don't have any of those heroes to play with, eventually those stories get kind of stale. I right, think. And, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's not so much that the character couldn't... That they couldn't have made good movies with Spider-Man. It's just... And, and it wasn't totally because of the Tony Stark character that Spider-Man worked. 
But I think what this storytelling that Marvel's done over the last 10 years has shown is that when you have a, a rich universe to draw from, you can tell some you can tell stories with layers to it and and it, it and that story goes beyond what you just described it's not about just stopping the bad guy from destroying new york or stopping the bad guy from destroying prague or wherever they were in far from home mm-hmm. it's there, there's something more to it and and i think when you the way they did the like the way they did civil war the way they did homecoming if you didn't have those two things play the way they did between this, you know, this character of Tony Stark and, and Peter Parker, then you begin to lose the emotional impact of what ends up happening in Infinity War and in Endgame between Tony and Spider-Man. I lost again. And then that also feeds into yeah. Far From Home, you know, so that thread doesn't, like I said, it doesn't mean that, that the character can't exist outside of having Tony Stark in his universe, but having him involved with that group gave him more purpose than just the usual hero fighting the villain. Can I actually add a, add a word in there? I think, I think actually more important than that is it it lent context. Yeah. Yeah. Because for the first time, and this is why I love Spider-Man homecoming uh, especially because of just the fact that I real that uh, again being a a film geek, the director oh my gosh I can't remember his name, Fan- did a fantastic job both with uh, Homecoming and Far From Home and apparently now he's not on he's not on board to do the next Spider Man right movie. Andrew uh, Andrew Garfield no Tom Holland is under contract for at least one more movie, but the director is not okay which I think is going to be a fiasco. Uh, if they don't get him back, because right. I think he was gold. He had this, he had this character dialed in. Mm-hmm. But the, what I loved about Homecoming is, uh, first of all, that the director had all the cast members watch uh, some John Hughes movies, mm-hmm. and they so apparently they shot all these down in Atlanta. And uh, Tom Holland had everyone over to the house he was renting, and they watched like a John Hughes marathon, because really, the first. Like the middle part of that movie is such like a John Hughes like high school movie, right? Right. Just with a dude who has superpowers, and you see someone who is like in their mid-teens. That if you had superpowers, you would have been doing this goofy crap too. Right. Like you would have been swinging around, riding on a subway car, getting a churro, and this and that. And the other. Like all of that stupid things. Like that's exactly what you would be doing. But be, by the by placing him in a universe with. Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow. You, you're putting him in a in a universe with a super soldier, the billionaire superhero with a conscience, the assassin, uh, the demigod in Thor. Like you're putting him in context with all of these characters. Black Panther, the the king of Wakanda, who has this you know has this power as the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. All of these different characters. You're putting him in context, and that he is just a kid from freaking Queens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which again is like that beautiful moment in in uh, in Endgame when you know he's he's like, I got this, I got this, I don't got this, I don't got this. Right, right. And you hear Captain, you hear Cap like, Hey, Queens, <laughs> and he's he sli- you know, like 
just that kind of thing. Like he is just a kid. Right, right. And that context is what makes that character special in this universe. Right. Is that you get to see Spider-Man kind of as that kid that he's always been. Yep. And I think that's you don't get that if you don't have the other heroes. Right. That's what's. I mean, you could have all the villains because that's the thing. Like it was, a, it was like Spider Man, and here's all his villains. Right. You don't get any other heroes. Right. And, and and I think that's what Sony started to struggle with because when they did the first three movies, you had you know the first movie, which captured the the spirit of the comic very well with the, the first mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire movie. You had the second one where it was really kind of the first. I mean, I don't mean to say the first like nasty villain because you know the the Green Goblin was 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 good in the first one, but you know with Doctor Octopus mm-hmm. that was an interesting story that they told and that had a layer to it. Um, and then you had the third one with Venom, and then when you switch over to Andrew Garfield, they're basically trying to retell the same. I, I don't mean to say the same, but similar story with with him and the female character and fighting bad guys and so forth. It's just there was nothing new there, you know. Yeah, And then I look at something like Into the Spider-Verse, which, again, is not connected to any of this. But, again, that worked because it was a different take. And, and again, it, Well, but it is because they, they did connect in the idea of the multiverse. They, they, you right. notice in Far From Home, he, he specifically said multiverse. Yes, yeah. So so it does. there is a little bit of a thread of a tie-in. I mean, it's thin as hell, but it's... Right, but, but it's, it's basically being told from the perspective of this other kid who is becoming, like, the next Spider-Man and meeting... Spider men and women from different, you know, from this multiverse and stuff. And so there, there was that aspect to it that made it different, you know, like that brought the story into kind of a different uh, context than it had been told before. Yeah, because you have the other heroes. So out, and the other heroes are just other versions of Spider-Man, right. but they are other heroes. Right. And so outside of that, it's like, so, so when you start to take that away, in which is the direction that, that Sony is now going in, what is the story they're going to tell with him? Because it's got to be something more than him versus a villain. And they, they already know, and hope, or hopefully they already know, that if they go the route like they did in Spider-Man 3, I think, where they tried to throw like three villains at him, like more does not necessarily mean better. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's a, that's a lesson that every movie studio has yet to learn. They keep making the same mistake. Not Marvel. And they all think like, well, okay, granted, Grant, although I don't know, the, the I mean, only the I only would, knocks that I have against Marvel are retelling the same kind of a story with like Doctor Strange, like we talked about in an earlier episode. Like that, that is about the only knock I have on what they've done because otherwise they have found a way every single time to tell a story in a unique way. And Thor, to me, is 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 just the gem because that that franchise was not going in a good direction after Dark World. Well, and and see that's where I would go because honestly, they they had some lean times. There there was a couple of shady-ish movies. I would argue that Marvel is much more like <laughs> Here we go. Marvel is the New England Patriots of movie that's making. That's right. Especially superhero movie making. It's not that they do everything perfect. Right. They just make fewer mistakes. Yes. Or if they're going to make mistakes, they're just not as big as everybody else's mistakes. Right. So you look at like Thor, the Dark World. You've got a kind of a mishmash. You've got the Dark Elves. Um, you've got Loki. Uh, you kind of have, you do have a, let's just up the ante from the first Thor movie. But, but you have a basic, you know what yeah, I mean? And, and you have a basic good guy. 
versus bad guy. Well, but you have you have good guy Thor, mm-hmm. you have bad guy, dark elves, then you have bad guy B, which is Loki, which you could switch those two. Mm-hmm. I would argue, mm-hmm. you could they they're they're kind of interchangeable. Um, so then coming from the first movie, you have um, oh gosh, Natalie Portman's character. I can't remember Jane, Jane Foster. Foster yep. And you have her friend, the the goofy, yep. you know, the the goofy sidekick slash friend or, or a research assistant. And you have Stellan Skarsgård. Right. So in this movie, you just then take Stellan Skarsgård and you have him running around his underwear, his <laughs> Stonehenge. So you've just basically you've just amped that up, which is a tr- yeah. is a classic yeah. sequel trick. Just take up his character and then just like dial him up to a level. Right. Right. And then you add in the new character who is kind of like the assistant to the assistant. You remember the dumb guy mm-hmm. who is who is like the, the assistant's assistant or whatever? Yep. Darcy? Jane! Mia! Sylvie! Mia! All of that is kind of almost just doing the whole like, hey, let's just kind of repeat this thing and add more characters. Right. Which is essentially what all those Spider-Man movies were doing because they don't have that context. Like, they didn't know how to introduce other characters into the Thor universe. They're like, we don't know what... How do you get another character into 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 a context with demigods? Yeah. How do you do that? So, they like, Thor Dark World was really just kind of this weird sort of thing. Right. Because you had to use the same set of characters but amp it up. You know, so all right, we're gonna kill Thor's mom, and and Odin comes back, and right. Loki is bad, and then we bring in another bad guy, and then oh, this and that and the other. Whereas, then look at Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. They figured out like, hey, if we bring in Hulk, right? Hmm. Okay, that might work. Cause, and then we just go completely over the top. And you know, and, yeah, and and they put that Guardian of the Galaxy kind of you know twist onto what they were doing, and. I think what's really telling about I think they actually went further than Guardians of the Galaxy in, in Ragnarok. Myself, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they gave it that vibe, and then they, yeah, and then they took it up up a notch, and and it it really, you know, it doesn't play as a repeat of Guardians of the Galaxy by any stretch, but it does have that kind of irreverent nature to it, you know, that that is typical yeah, of that movie. They were definitely heading that direction. Right. But what I find really interesting is, you know, you you look at what Marvel has done. I, I also look at what Marvel hasn't done and that is you know they could have put out or tried to put out an incredible hulk movie but they didn't you know like once once that that one with um not Ed, not Ed O'Neill let's rock yeah. what's his name yeah. Edward Norton Edward Edward Norton um uh, well actually time out I think that might have been and I'd have to research this and it'll take me longer than I than I can right now I think they might have actually had a deal with the studio that they sold those rights to, because I don't think it was Fox, oh. it wasn't Sony. It was another studio, and I think that the the arrangement they came to was like, we can't make a we can't make a Hulk movie, but he can be in other movies. Oh, really? Because I'm, I'm not, pretty. I thought that was the case, but I could it, I could be confusing that with they just made that decision like, hey, it's better to have Hulk sprinkled here and there and everywhere rather than trying to make that move. Okay, could, I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, because I'd be surprised if someone else had the rights and then allowed them to continue to use the Hulk in like the Avengers movies because he 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 had, I mean, he added value to those stories. And 
it just seemed kind of weird to me that if, if someone owned the rights to it and just let let that let that go. I I don't know, but whatever the case may be, I I find it. Time out. Actually, w- real quick. Uh, apparently, the Hulk rights are with Universal. So they can't make a standalone movie of him. I'm not sure. That's weird. The shady way. I don't know. I'm 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 googling in real time right now. So <laughs> I'll. I'll actually try and look this up and maybe put it in the show notes. Show notes. But I think there's there's a compelling case to be made either way. If the rights were saying like, hey, you can make him in a movie with other. Right. Like not as long as it's not like the Hulk or Incredible Hulk or whatever. You can put him in other movies as long as he's not like the main character. Okay. But but, but let's say let's just say for argument's sake, they have the ability to put him in his own movie. Yeah. I think it was a very wise choice to not go that route. Because I don't know if in this time, at this day and age, if there's, and, and this kind of goes to the point you were making a little bit earlier about these sort of, you know, superheroes in a vacuum. I, I don't know if there's a compelling story you can tell with him right now. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I look at like what Nolan, and we've talked about this, what, what Christopher Nolan did with the Dark Knight trilogy he had to tell the stories the way he told them. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think he explored what he could explore with that Batman character. Was there more story that he could have told? Sure. Um, and maybe it would have been compelling. But I think he really, you know, told the strongest story he could across those three movies. With Hulk, mm-hmm. the first movie, you know, which is always the origin story, is was fine. I mean, it wasn't wasn't, uh, you know, at the level of, of Iron Man or some of these other ones. But after that, what do you do with that character? Maybe smash a few things along the way. Because once he turns into a big rage monster, it's like, what is there? I think it's gratuitous, but whatever. You know, I mean, I, I think what they did with him in Endgame was brilliant. I, I love that that kind of Professor Hulk, you know, approach that they took with him. Time travel! Because I think... yeah. And the thing is, I think they needed to do that because I think it had gotten to a point that it's like enough. What? I mean, yeah, Hulk, you know, he turns into the rage monster and he beats the crap out of people. It's like, great. You know, I mean, I thought what they did with Infinity War and Endgame was brilliant by making him completely unable to be what he wanted to be uh, in Infinity War and then having him be this like balanced version of Banner and the Hulk where where he didn't really do anything Hulk-like really until the final battle, you know, if you really want to call it that. Um, yeah, it, it was more. And even then, he was he was only one arm. Right, exactly, exactly. So I I, I look at those as like, I, I mean, maybe this isn't you know Marvel's brilliance. Maybe like you said, it is really about the the business side of it dictating what they could do. But but I think it's interesting to see that they have at least the presence of mind to know when they can tell really good stories and and when they can't. And you know at least. Um, you know, I, th- I think you, you can make the case they may have gone a little bit over the edge with like Iron Man 3. You know, I mean, that was that was a reasonable story to tell. I mean, it was something you hadn't seen before with a hero having like PTSD and, you know, kind of, you know, Tony kind of being deconstructed down into just him on his own without his suits and that sort yeah. of thing. I, th- I think that that's a pretty good story to tell. But um, but there was a weakness in Iron Man 2 and 3 roughly that that it just didn't have the same strength as the first one you know and so i think they were wise to not pursue a fourth one after that well i think that also uh i and this is something i remember and i could be completely misquoting it because i'm going totally on memory but uh mark rafalo when he had talked about 
um, apparently he, him and Edward Norton are, are good, are friends or at least acquaintances. And so when he was cast as, as Hulk, of course, Edward Norton, Edward Norton Jr., right? Uh, I think so. so. Uh, when he was, uh, he had done Incredible Hulk and then essentially Marvel was like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, Cause you're a pain in the butt. And, yeah. uh, so when uh, Mark Fowler was cast as Hulk in uh, in Avengers, he had, if I remember right, he had said Edward Norton Jr. had kind of uh, bequeathed the role to him and that he felt it was really like his generation's Hamlet as this tragic kind of character who who just, it, it's not going to end well for him ever. Oh, okay. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no path where this is going to turn out well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because if you look at it, you know, there's no Hamlet part two. Right, right. You, 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 you can only go so far with a Hulk before you hit this point of it just all ends badly. Yeah. And I think it's wise how they've how they've used him in different movies, and I think the the story arc they've played out is great. Uh, it also follows somewhat of the comics because there's there's a point where the Hulk goes through these different incarnations of the you know the Green Hulk originally, then the Gray Hulk, mm. which is apparently, if I'm remembering right, uh, a more intelligent Hulk, which is kind of what Hulk kind of became, you know, after Avengers, right. you know, that whole like. You know, my secret is I'm always angry. Right. Which to me is like still one of the great moments in those Marvel movies where he he wills himself to turn into the Hulk. Where I'm like, oh, frick. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just think that's so cool. Right. Like just this idea like, you know what? I'm always mad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just thought that was cool. And, I, and, and it actually managed to link up with the end of the Incredible Hulk where you see him like days without incident. You know, and all of a sudden it just dials down to like zero, right. and you, he opens his eyes, and there's the like Bruce Banner, like old school TV show Hulk eyes. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, he lost it. Um, but anyway, I I think that the the idea of like this tragic character, like you can you can't have you can't continue to revisit that character over and over and over and over and right. over again. And again, it comes into that context. Like, I think there is somewhat of a shelf life with any one of these characters before they begin to interact with the other characters. And that's the reason why the MCU has done so well and has has carried on and been the high quality that it's been because you get to have all those characters interact with each other. If you didn't, you just have the character constantly beating up on a different series of bad guys. Exactly, exactly. And and you notice like Iron Man three like, okay yeah great but you don't have any of the other characters there. right. Uh, you throw Iron Man in with Captain America ooh right, that's interesting right. And then you throw Black Panther in there holy crap now we've really got something rolling here like Black Panther, okay we can have Black Panther by himself because we see the kind of, not the origin origin story but really the origin story of, of T'Challa becoming king right which is kind of a great way of telling an origin story without having to do like the origin story. Yeah. Yeah. But Black Panther 2 better have someone else in it. Right. Right. Because now we're used to seeing a bunch of these characters. That's why I'm I'm concerned about Sony doing a Spider-Man movie on its own because 
Yeah, great. Oh, yeah, we, we learned enough from doing, you know, we've, we grossed a billion dollars with Far From Home, and we grossed, you know, a ton of money. We got an Oscar for mm-hmm. uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Well, great, yeah. I mean... There was context around those movies. Right, so. and, and... And now you've taken all that context, and it's out the window. And, and I'll be honest, if you take out the, the layer that they had in Far From Home where, where Peter Parker is dealing with, you know, moving on without Tony and, and what what that means for his character that movie is middling at best i mean there is no movie. There, there is no movie you're, you're absolutely right I, I, i'll go that far there is no movie because then uh um uh, oh for crying out loud nick fury he ain't coming rolling up looking for for peter right oh i'm sorry did i break your concentration right and if, if there isn't that larger context nick fury doesn't give a crap about there is no shield anyways right. what does marcellus wallace look like because then you're not in that universe and to me in that movie the critical part of it was the part with him and happy on on that whatever that aircraft was Mm. you know with happy telling him that tony was the biggest screw-up of them all you know that that Mm -hmm. that you know failure you know that lesson about how failure is the thing that that molds you um and learning from it is is how you you know grow and you don't get to that point without that other layer being there. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious what, um, what they're going to do. Um, you know, I, I know one of the things that gets touted is, you know, well, well, Venom did really well. Well, Venom did really well because I think it was a benefit of, you know, from the trailer of seeing this kind of edgier and more, you know, kind of violent sort of approach to a a comic book, you know, villain and, and what they were and Tom Hardy, I think is, is, you know, he, he just carries that cachet of being a great actor. And so people, I think, were very intrigued by that. Everything I've read is that story was awful. Well, yeah, the, it was critically panned. But I would agree. Tom Hardy, like, I will watch, I will rewatch um, uh, Inception just for the Tom oh, Hardy yeah. scenes. Oh, he was fantastic. That dude just, he's one of those guys that chews scenery mm-hmm. around people. Yep. Um, like that first scene when he, he him and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meet in in Inception, and he's just just so casually talking. I'm like, oh, this guy, yeah. oh man, you know. Oh, he was and fantastic. Even his Bane would when he's talking like this. I'm like, sure, whatever, dude. I'm in. <laughs> you know, is that you, is that whatever. you doing your Bane impression again? Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's horrible. It's even worse than it was the first time. So, sounds a little you know, bit like Michael Caine. <laughs> well, you say it was Michael Caine. It, it's all horrible. It's all horrible. Uh, Just like a Spider-Man movie without you the You adopted the darkness. I was born in it. See, yours is like a hundred times better. <laughs> Dude, you could get a voice casting off of that. Me, they'd be like, you know what? Not only are we not going to cast you, <laughs> we want your address so we can come and kick your ass. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So, all right. So, judgment time. Yes, sir. I, I, I think, I think you, you know where I'm coming. Are up. you thumbs up like you're optimistic? Are you thumbs down like, you know what, Sony? I will come and f- you know, I have a special set of skills. <laughs> my gosh, we. I will find. We've you. had Bane, Michael Caine, and now Liam Neeson all in. Uh, I didn't even try to do Liam Neeson. Didn't even try. Uh, we thank you for that. Because I know Liam Neeson will come find my, <laughs> find my booty. He already said it. 
like three times now. I'm I'm waiting for Taken Four. I'm gonna track yeah. down that son of a bitch that did the podcast and imitated <laughs> me. If you're gonna imitate me, you're gonna do it with quality. Wake up! I need you to be focused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I am a definitive thumbs down on this one. I, I think this is just, uh, unfortunately, it's business taking precedence over uh, what should be, I mean, I don't mean to say common sense, but but just it's very clear to me over the last few years why this character in this franchise has become so successful. Um, I really feel like it's just, it's foolish. And, um, and, and I think, unfortunately, unless they land a new deal, I think the next... I think Tom Holland's on for two more, I think is what I read. But but well, I thought it was one definitely and then he has an option for another. So, like it's a weird yeah, like sports the, contract kind the of The thing. next one or two I, I, I don't think are going I mean, maybe the next one will do well because it will benefit from what Far From Home was. But if they do another one after that, I, I have a sense that it's just it's not gonna really measure up. Um yeah. unless they come up with some story that I just can't think of in my wildly creative head so and i i would agree i'm i'm a i'm a definitive thumbs oh, down yeah. and it to me i i still think there's hope uh because quite honestly well i i <laughs> i i think there's hope and i also will defer to human stupidity um i think there's hope because honestly apparently uh disney was getting their five percent off the top for this and they were they were looking up to 30%. And that, and the fact is that they're lending a ton of this. I mean, granted, yeah, uh, Sony's saying, hey, you get to play with our toys. And Marvel says, yeah, and you know what? You've broken your toys every damn time. Yeah. So we're going to play with your toys, and we're actually going to make you money. Mm -hmm. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Hey, imagine that. We're going to make you buttloads of money. We're just going to back up a dump truck to your studio and just drop a ton of cash in your lap. Yeah. I, need money. I think there's something to be said because both sides have a stake mm -hmm. here. Um, you know, Marvel knows what they've contributed, but they also know that they do not control one of their most popular singular characters. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man is, without a doubt, now that Robert Downey Jr. is not a part of the MCU... And especially now that Chris Evans isn't a part of the MCU, um, Spider-Man is like their their most popular character now. And and that's something actually we didn't get around to talking to, which is they positioned him as the next kind of Tony. So now where does Phase Four go without that? I'm sure they have a plan, and I'm sure it'll be fine. But well, they also have in their back pocket um, they have Fantastic Four and X-Men. Ah, okay. I mean. And, and just they have Fantastic Four, all the villains that are associated with Fantastic Four. They have X-Men and all the villains that are associated with X-Men, plus all the associated property, which also includes all character called Deadpool, who mm -hmm. happens to hold the record for the highest grossing R-rated movie ever. So what we I all mean, aspire and, to be. <laughs> And this is and this is part of where Marvel gets their hubris from in this negotiating stance. But I think they'll also come back to Earth and realize, you know what? How about fifteen? Right. Instead of five, how about you give us fifteen? Yeah. We don't want thirty. Give us fifteen, yeah. because at the end of the day, it does benefit them. And they'll and they'll reap the benefits over 
a long, if they, long time. Yeah, if they go that way, I really hope they just focus on Fantastic Four because, honestly, I think X-Men is just fatigued out at this point. I, I, it's just let, let it lay for a decade, seriously. I mean... Well, I mean, in a poor way because they've they gave they gave apparently so if I remember right, uh, X three, X Men three back in the day, um, the one where they had the Golden Gate Bridge, kind of thing. Right, uh, right. The dude who wrote that was the one who directed Dark Phoenix, so he got a second shot at the whole Dark Phoenix thing, and apparently, wah wah wah. St- Still drilled a hole somewhere in the ground um, that it, is a smoking crater to this it day. It bombed very badly. Very badly. Oh, uh, and granted, nobody was promoting that. No. I mean, they promoted like a little bit, but that was yeah. so set up to fail because it happened right after Disney took control of 20th Century Fox. And they kind of were like, yeah, we wouldn't be upset if all of these characters just went away. Yeah, yeah. Because honestly... The only person I, I can only imagine there's three pe- or four people who they would love to have back. They'd love to have first and foremost Hugh Jackman. They'd love to have him play Wolverine mm-hmm. at least one more mm-hmm. time. I don't think it's going to happen. No, I, I don't. They'd either. love to have Michael Fassbender back as Magneto because I would. I would at least I would hope. I'm guessing on this because he's fantastic. He was fantastic, and that's saying something because. Uh, you're taking over that part from, oh, my gosh, what's his name? Ian McKellen. Shoot. Ian McKellen. And the other one you'd want back is, um, crap, just by hearing Ian McKellen, it's screwing Patrick up. Patrick Stewart? No, not Patrick Stewart. Um, James McAvoy. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because, honestly, I think he was a great Professor X. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. Patrick Stewart was fantastic. But I think if there's anybody who's almost like Michael Fassbender, if there's anybody who's going to take over for that character – it was James McAvoy. I think he did a fantastic job of being as charming as Patrick Stewart was, you know. Um, and then the other one, of course, is, um, oh, my gosh, what's her face? Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, right, right. But, of course, I'm, I think they killed her off. And I, I even know. I, I didn't watch Dark Phoenix. Um, but those are the four they'd like to have back, probably because name recognition and everything else. But, yeah. you know, they have all these characters to play with. And if, you know... Again, like, I think we talked about it before. Like, oh, you know, they can't do anything. It was like, really? They can't? They, you know, they took whoever and made them a star. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's out of reach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But as far as, like, Spider-Man on their own and maybe, like, trying to tie them back in with Venom, like, eh, maybe. I I think that'll be, like, one decent movie. Mm -hmm. After that, it's going to suck. That's just my thought. Yeah. That is an interesting point. I mean, they they could do something goofy like Spider-Man versus Venom or something like that. Which, I mean, I would watch. Which, right, exactly. So I I, I think there'd be the intrigue of it. I just think, I think it would fall flat. They they have yet to prove themselves as as reasonable storytellers. Yeah, and that is the thing. Like, I think, I think that Sony on their side is totally underestimating the the guidance of a Kevin Feige. Yeah, yeah. Who really just seems to have this whole big picture thing dialed in. Like, if there's ever... I mean, damn. At this point, we're into Marvel. We're into phase, what, four now yeah, of Marvel? Yeah, phase four. Cinematic universe. Uh, yeah. If there's anybody who's ever had this grand of a vision, 
I don't know who else it would be. Yeah. No one, no one's ever done anything like this over a span of twenty some odd movies. It's unprecedented. It's again, it's they are the New England Patriots. We are in uncharted waters. Movies. Nobody has ever done what they have done under these circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Period. You know. Um, so yeah, I I am a thumbs down on uh, a Sony solo Spider-Man universe. Ooh. I think it's I think maybe one movie and then it's gonna suck. Yeah. Because the other thing is, do they get Michael Keaton back as um, as a Vulture? You know, any of those things that have been that have been teased and hinted. Because the other thing is, no one is really sure what contract any of the other characters. Yeah. Have. Yeah. So do we get um? Oh my gosh. I'm I'm blanking on everyone's name. Zendaya? Yes. Yep. Okay. Sweet. At least according to you. And if we're wrong, then it's your fault. Who is fantastic in these That's movies. why I'm here. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, so anyways, uh, I think we were both thumbs down on that oh, yeah. one. So you know what? Uh, let's, let's call an end to that portion of the grab bag, and let's go to and another thing. And another thing. So, uh, would you like to go first, sir, or would you like me to go? You know, first? I, I would like to defer. You have been uh, a, a gentleman and a scholar these last three episodes, and allowed me to go first. Uh, I will uh, defer this time. I, I will be, I, I will walk in the in the footsteps of Coach Belichick and defer for the second half. Uh, so please, Tim has deferred <laughs> to the second half. Uh, so, sir, he will kick off the first half. <laughs> Second half will receive. Now, now you see. Oh, that's that's not a good John Madden. That's like a Gomer pile. I don't know what I was trying to do there. Anyways, well, now you see. If you kick off in the first half, you don't get to kick off in the second half. And you kick off in the second half, you don't kick off in the first half. And if you're out of timeouts at the end of the first half, you're out of timeouts. You go all timeout. You don't have a timeout. First and ten. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> I I you know what. I think Bill Simmons is right. Uh, oh my gosh, what was his name? I am blank. I am. S- Shake harder, boy. Dude, he's I need to be put in the home. He's getting old. What's what was John Madden's broadcast partner? Pat Summerall. Uh, Pat Summerall. My gosh. Again, we talked about me being uninvolved with the NFL. It's it's seeped down all the way to like, even. So I think I I really believe like Bill Simmons does that the last couple of years that 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 uh that John Madden and Pat Summerall are broadcasting. I believe Pat Summerall wasn't even there. It was video game Pat Summerall. Because because Madden would go off on these tangents, and then Pat Summerall wouldn't even acknowledge it. It yeah. was like, second and five. <laughs> this didn't happen. <laughs> to this day, like, one of the best, like, John Madden and a John Madden and Pat Summerall in a blowout game was, in like the fourth, fourth quarter, was one of the most beautiful things because they wouldn't even talk about what's happening on the oh, field. Oh, God, no. As we see the, the buckets, now there's a third bucket this week. I think what happened, there's always been, yeah, there's always been like a mother and father. Like this is a father bucket, this is a mother bucket, and since the last game, they had a baby bucket. We all know what's going to happen. I remember there was one game in San Francisco, and John Madden was preoccupied with all the seagulls <laughs> that were sitting up at the top of Candlestick Park. And he's like, oh, you know, at the end of the game, they're going to come down here and they're going to be going. And he's drawing on the telestrator where the seagulls are going to go for the best left. That's the beautiful part. He, he just found creative ways to employ the telestrator. Yes. And, and you know what? The fact is, again, is it, 
like uh, there's so many you know announcers and commentators now you could tell john enjoyed the entire experience mm-hmm. he just liked going to the stadium on game day yes he enjoyed the whole damn deal like even if he wasn't coaching he's like i just love going here and talking about yeah. it even if it's the stupid seagulls that are going to come down and eat the hot dogs. Because you know what? I've sat here afterwards, and I've watched the seagulls eat the hot dogs. I know where they're going to go. They're going to go to section 104, 106, and 107. Because, uh, uh, you know, it's just the way it is, yes. you know? Anyways, so, uh, wow, that's not my another thing. That's going back to I defer, so please, sir, what, what would yeah. you like to uh, grace us with? See, if I, if I was really going over, I'd go over all the stories where I used to run you over with Barry Foster in, uh, in, in Madden <laughs> oh, and Sega. You remember yo. that? Yeah, those scars still remain, my friend. It was the only time I've ever, I've ever willfully chosen to play as the Pittsburgh Steelers in a video game. But back when they had Barry Foster, apparently, for whatever reason, the people who developed Madden decided he was the second coming of Bo Jackson. <laughs> that, that was, that was and, funny. And he would just plow over everyone, yeah. and you would get so mad. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it was it was funny. Well, funny and well, yeah, funny. <laughs> I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no other. And option. another thing. <laughs> and another thing. All right. So my another thing is uh, it ties into another. Uh, it's another life on Netflix, which features. Uh, we're going to tie this back to Battlestar Galactica. It features Katie Sackhoff. Track me. As, uh, so this is a great sci-fi series. Uh, sci-fi slash horror. I have not watched the entire first season, full disclosure. Uh, I've watched like three or four episodes now. And it's a, it's a, it's a real fun watch. And uh, the first couple episodes, very heavy on the sci-fi. And then all of a sudden you start working in the horror elements of it. And uh, I'm really curious to see how the whole season pans out. Um, I think right now they're, it's kind of up in the air whether or not they're going to get a second season. Uh, but Katie Sackhoff, again, uh, one of the – there's certain uh, artists, filmmakers, uh, music makers, actors, whatever, that I – you're in that, I'll see it. And, and Katie right, Sackhoff right. is one of, those, one of those people. I just – I think she's a fantastic actress. I, I think she's awesome. Uh, and she is really good in this. And so if you have Netflix, go ahead and feel free to watch that. If you don't have Netflix, what the hell is wrong with you? Go ahead and drop 10 bucks for crying out loud, you cheap <laughs> Go and watch Another Life. Binge the whole damn thing. Oh I mean, as gosh. long you know what? I'm telling people to go and order something for $10 a month. Just go, go and get it. Go and get Todd, it. Todd's going full Apollo Creed on this. Jeez. <laughs> what could be better than to go up one <laughs> One of his descendants. There you go. Apollo Creed versus the Italian style. <laughs> Sounds like a damn monster movie. I mean, you, you were kind of carrying that vibe for a little bit when you were going with that. That was pretty good. So, One of my favorite scenes out of that whole thing where it's like if coming out of anyone but Carl Weathers, that would have been so cheesy, but damn, he pulled oh, it off. Yeah. Like, Sounds like a damn a monster yeah. movie. Oh, that was fantastic. Like, oh, he, I mean, it was like, it was like, what would happen if you took a Muhammad Ali and dialed it up a notch? <laughs> That's Apollo Creed, ladies and there gentlemen. It there it is. And that's saying a that's saying a little bit. All right. So uh and now for you, sir, what's your another thing? Uh mine is actually related to our uh discussion on the Matrix. Um and it's 
it, it, it is an older kind of uh, kind of going back a decade here, um, but it is called the Animatrix, and I don't know if you've oh, yeah. seen this, but but you brought up a really good point when we had that discussion about um, you know how how that that story played with you know just kind of the gray area of life, you know, and 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 mm-hmm. you know that it's not as cut and dry as the good good guys and the bad guys. Um, the Animatrix was put out. Um, I think it was between when they did Reloaded uh, and Revolution, so between two and three. And it is interesting context to watch because it, it tries to fill in the background of how the machines came to be and came to be in the position they're in now where they essentially rule Earth. Um, and it's very interesting because it's it's a very uh, similar story to you know kind of the tone that Battlestar Galactica provides where... Um, you have humanity creating these machines that are meant to make their lives easier and they, re- they eventually rebel and um, become more intelligent and take over and, and then essentially enslave the population. But, but the stories that are told um, try to provide, I think, some background as to how that comes to be. Um, and when you see it, you begin to understand that, you know, a lot of what the characters we've come to, you know, identify as the heroes in the story um, are that, that humanity very much made their bed, so to speak, in, in you know, for, for laying out this story. So, um, or I should say that differently. They, they made their bed, now they're sleeping in it, and it's all because of the desire to make life easier on oneself. So, um, so it's, it's just interesting backstory. I think it, uh, just given the announcement of the, of the, the next movie, it's probably a good one to go back and watch and just to, to kind of get a sense of the richness of the universe that the Wachowskis created. And uh, you can tell they, you know, there was thought put into the story, um, you know, especially with, with the layers and depth they go into with, with uh, the, I think it's like seven short stories that they tell through anime. Um, it's, it's all animated. It's, it's not, I don't think any of it is live action. I think it's all animated, but it's animated in different ways. Um, by different directors. I don't mean to say different ways, different styles by different directors. Uh, so that would be my and another thing is the Animatrix. Check it out. It's, uh, it's interesting. So you're saying it's a love story. Of sorts. <laughs> that is the cool part, though. I, I, as I was well, talking, I just remembered that, that they didn't, it wasn't done by the same director or producer or anything like that. They had seven, six or seven different people tell these stories in their own style and way. And so they all have a very different feel to them. And, but they're all basically trying to provide context for this overarching story of how this came to be. Mm-hmm. So. Well, the funny thing that, that, that you mentioned is the whole idea of, you know, making life easier and things like that. I mean, just a, a looping on back to what will next, what will be our next episode that's what happened with the Cylons yeah. in Battlestar Galactica. They were created in order to make life easier for the humans yep. on the colonies. Yep. And guess what? That uh, didn't work out so No, well. it did not. Not at all. Not at all. Nuclear war, no <laughs> You adopted the darkness. I was born into it. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I, I just felt like I had to throw that in again. <laughs> All right. And you know what? Normally, uh, over the last couple episodes, I've given you the final word, but uh, I'm actually going to, I, I would actually like to, to throw this in. This is actually. Oh, uh, I, I, I shanked th- it on the last episode. So please, please bring us home. 
Oh no, no, you were right in the fairway. I mean, you were you were damn close to the rough, but you were you were still in the fairway. You were still in the fairway. Give yourself credit. Bring for us that. home, brother. That's all right. Bring us home. So uh, uh, this is a little quote that, quite honestly, I, I I repeat to myself almost on a daily basis. And this was um, this was a friend, uh, a friend, a friend, not a frond. That would be a fern. Uh, a friend of Hunter S. Thompson, who was a famous writer of some note you might remember from Fear and Loathing in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. We were somewhere around Barstow, on the edge of the desert, when the drugs began to take hold. Uh, but Sheriff Bob Browdis, who was the, the sheriff of the, the county in which Hunter S. Thompson lived in Colorado, and he went on a trip with Hunter S. Thompson and uh, back to Kentucky, and all kinds of mayhem ensued, which... It's essentially what is going to happen when you're hanging out with Hunter. <laughs> and his quote was, life is a gradual release from ignorance. I like it. And one of the things I've learned is it's a little more gradual for some <laughs> of us than it is for others. <laughs> and Amen. when I say that, I'm speaking directly to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope you all have a great time. Uh, I hope you, sir, have a great time in South thank Korea. You. Uh, safe travels as always. Thank you, thank and, you. Uh, you know, we will be back uh, with our next episode, which will be dealing with Battlestar Galactica Season 2.5. Mm-hmm. So be sure you subscribe. Uh, find us on uh, iTunes or on Podbean. And ladies and gentlemen, you go ahead and turn the lights out on your way out. I can't take the wrong week. Quit drinking. I beg your pardon. What did you say? Damn! You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. So say we all. So say we all. That really got out of hand fast.